Good morning and welcome to worship on this second Sunday after Pentecost. Michaela, you have got us off to a good start. I whispered to Pastor Heather as we were getting ready to walk in, I wish we had a hand and a foot cam so people could see how busy you were back there. That was a wonderful way to start off the morning. Thank you for that. Welcome to all of you again, to those of you that are joining us on our radio broadcast, to those of you that are listening to us on our OSL podcast, or to those of you that are joining us through our YouTube channel. We are glad that you have found your way here to worship with us this morning. Our radio broadcast is sponsored this morning by Mike and Sally Shandell in celebration of their 60th wedding anniversary. Mike and Sally, congratulations and many blessings to you on this milestone event. And thank you for sponsoring the radio broadcast. As we prepare for worship now, I invite you to light a candle and to gather some bread and wine so that a little later in our service, you may celebrate Holy Communion. Our worship begins now this morning with confession and God's word of love and grace and forgiveness for us. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, one God whose steadfast love is everlasting, whose faithfulness endures from generation to generation. Amen. Trusting in the mercy of God, we join in a prayer of confession. Let us pray. Reconciling God, we confess that we do not trust your abundance and we deny your presence in our lives. We place our hope in ourselves and rely on our own efforts. We fail to believe that you provide enough for all. We abuse your good creation for our own benefit. We fear difference and do not welcome others as you have welcomed us. We sin in thought, word, and deed. By your grace, forgive us. Through your love, renew us. And in your spirit, lead us so that we may live and serve you in newness of life. Amen. Beloved of God, by the radical abundance of divine mercy, we have peace with God through Christ Jesus, through whom we have obtained grace upon grace, and our sins are forgiven. Let us live now in hope, for hope does not disappoint, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Amen. We sing together our gathering hymn, God is Here, number 526, verses 1 and 4.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We sing together our hymn of praise. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. God of compassion, you have opened the way for us and brought us to yourself. Pour your love into our hearts that overflowing with joy, we may freely share the blessings of your realm and faithfully proclaim the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Our worship continues as we hear a children's message with Pastor Heather. Good morning, OSL kids and adults. Today I want to share a story with you once again from this book, Holy Troublemakers and Unconventional Saints. The Holy Troublemaker and Unconventional Saint that we're going to meet today is a man by the name of Bayard Rustin. Here is his story. As the sun rose on Wednesday, August 28, 1963, people were gathering in Washington, D.C. They had come from all over the country to march in one of the most important protests in the history of the United States. This was the March on Washington for jobs and freedom, drawing attention to the injustices Black Americans faced at a time when much of the country was still segregated. Segregation kept Black people in separate schools, restaurants, motels, movie theaters, and more. Black and white people even used different drinking fountains and bathrooms with the better ones reserved for white people. A movement demanding that Black Americans be treated as equals to white Americans had been growing for more than a hundred years. A charismatic and powerful preacher named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was one of the many leaders of the civil rights movement. Later that day in 1963, a crowd of at least 250,000 people would listen to him give a speech that would become his famous, I have a dream speech, where he gave it on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. The march on Washington powerfully showed Congress that people wanted civil rights legislation. It also demonstrated that the movement was well organized. The movement and its brilliant chief organizer worked hard to make sure that the day's turnout and speeches would have an impact. At the end of the day, the chief organizer of the march was deeply satisfied that the details had worked out so well. He had thought about everything from how many bathrooms they needed to provide to the signs marchers would hold. And he had also found a large team of volunteers who stayed late into the night, picking up every piece of trash before going home. But this man, the organizer, largely stayed out of the news. He was forced into the background because he was a gay man 
and being gay was something most people didn't talk about in 1963. In fact, being openly gay was illegal then, and people who were known to be gay faced a lot of prejudice. But today, we get to remember this hero that history has forgotten, and his name was Bayard Rustin. Bayard was born in 1912 in Pennsylvania and raised by his Quaker grandparents. Quakers are a group of Christians who believe deeply in peace and justice, nonviolent methods to work for peace and the quality and the equality of all people. Bayard gave credit to his faith for his lifelong work. My activism did not spring from my being gay or for that matter, from my being black, he said. Rather, it is rooted fundamentally in my Quaker upbringing and the values that were instilled in me by my grandparents. Bayard was once arrested for riding a bus with both black and white men and he was imprisoned. He had to work on a chain gang under brutal conditions where prisoners were chained together to do hard physical work. Bayard's time in the chain gang was both difficult and motivating. The hot sun beat down on him, the guards were cruel, the work was exhausting. But even in these difficult conditions, he noticed the songs that the prisoners sang to keep their spirits up. Bayard loved music and had studied music in college. When he was released and home again in New York, Bayard wrote about his brutal treatment on the chain gang for a New York City-based newspaper. His report helped end the practice of chain gangs for the next 60 years. Unfortunately, this practice is returning in some parts of the US. Bayard then traveled to India to study nonviolent resistance from Mahatma Gandhi Nonviolence means more than just not using physical violence. It means taking peaceful action to bring about change, including sit-ins, marches, hunger strikes, boycotts, picketing, and more. The larger goal of nonviolent resistance is to convince the people doing harmful, racist, and violent acts that their actions are wrong. People aren't seen as the enemy in nonviolent movements. Instead, the ignorance that leads to harmful acts is the enemy. While he was in India, Bayard came to believe even more deeply that nonviolent resistance was the only way to win true equality for Black Americans and to win over the hearts and minds of the majority of white Americans. He believed that people who cared about changing unjust systems needed to become troublemakers for the higher good. We need in every community a group of angelic troublemakers, he said. Our power is in our ability to make things unworkable. The only weapon we have is our bodies, and we need to tuck them in places so wheels don't turn. Once Bayard got back to the U.S., he got involved with the civil rights movement and its leaders, including Dr. King. In fact, Bayard convinced Dr. King that nonviolence was an ideology or a philosophy of life that could work for the movement. He also convinced Dr. King not to use armed bodyguards or to keep guns at his home for self-protection because the leader of a nonviolent resistance movement could not prepare to use violence while preaching nonviolence to his followers. Other leaders of the growing civil rights movement questioned Bayard's role. Many of them had prejudices against gay people, but Bayard became a trusted advisor to Dr. King, both for his practical knowledge of nonviolent techniques and his magnificent organizing skills. The March on Washington, which Bayard planned in only eight weeks, was a brilliant culmination of his decades of nonviolent resistance work on behalf of racial reconciliation and equality. Bayard loved all people, and while he worked for much of his life on civil rights for African Americans, he also worked as a human rights activist in many other countries, including India, Ghana, Nigeria, and South Africa. 
He cared deeply about refugees and helped bring awareness to the hardships faced by refugees from Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and Haiti. And these are just a few examples of the many freedom and equality projects he worked on. Bayard believed that humans are all part of the same family. We are all one, he said, and if we don't know it, we will learn it the hard way. Bayard Rustin died in 1987. In 2013, 50 years after the historic march on Washington, President Obama awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest honor a civilian can receive. Bayard's partner of 10 years, Walter Nagel, was on hand to accept the award that honored Baird for being one of America's greatest architects of social change. Finally, history is starting to remember Baird Rustin, who taught us how to be angelic troublemakers on behalf of peace, freedom, and the shared humanity of us all. How might you be an angelic troublemaker in your community, God has given you gifts to work for peace and justice. And God calls you to love this world and all of God's people in the same way that God does. Thanks be to God for holy troublemakers and unconventional saints like Baird Rustin. Thanks be to God for you as you live your faith in your daily walk and life. Thanks for listening. Peace. Our worship continues with our first reading. Good morning to all our friends at OSL, or more likely, your living rooms. Um, our first reading comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. We are no longer God's enemies, but we have peace with God because we are brought into a right relationship with God through Christ's death. A reading from Paul's letters to the Romans, chapter 5. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ has died for us. Word of God, word of life. Thanks, Thanks be to God. We join together in singing our gospel acclamation. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, 
and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without payment, give without payment. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be wondering why I'm sitting out here with my backpack and, little did you know, my hiking boots too. In just about a month, I'll be headed out to Camp Christicon in Montana, bringing a group of 12 OSL folks on what will be a five-day backpacking trip in the mountains with a day on each end at camp at Christicon. That is our plan, at least for the moment, in as much as we can make plans these days. Yes, the plan could change, but for now, I am optimistically excited to return to one of my favorite places on earth. As I said, we will be backpacking in the mountains for five days. It is a long time without a shower, but at least we'll all be in the same boat, or should I say, shoes and socks. When I was a backpacking guide at Christicon over 25 years ago now, in all our backpacking adventures, we practiced a leave no trace form of camping. Our goal was to leave as little impact as possible on the environment. We stayed on the trails, we camped in designated campsites, we didn't build fires, and we certainly didn't leave any food or trash behind. We tried to preserve the natural setting as best as we could. Leave no trace. But sometimes there were hikers who went before us that didn't camp by quite the same code. Often we found ourselves cleaning up their mess, scattering the scars of an old campfire, collecting garbage to carry out with us. Often our leave no trace calling expanded beyond just our impact or personal responsibility to include the impact of those who had gone before us. That feels sort of poignant to me right now. In light of both the COVID pandemic and the exploding crisis around race and justice in our country. Our call to care for our neighbor is a call bigger than just to leave no trace. It is bigger than just not directly causing someone harm. Our actions, even unintentional, do have a ripple effect. And so regarding COVID-19, we trust the science about how to best flatten the curve, slow the spread. And even if we might feel pretty healthy and relatively safe, going about life mask-free and socially cozy, our calling as disciples is to care about our neighbor too, which means we are called to so much more than just leave no trace. We are called to heal and care and improve the lives of those around us and our collective life together. This is ever more true regarding the injustices and inequalities and prejudice our sisters and brothers of color have experienced since the very beginning of the American experiment. Racism is embedded in our culture. And honestly, many times in my life, I think I have practiced more of a leave no trace sort of approach to these issues and realities than I really want to admit. Many times I haven't known what I should do or what I even could do. But my isolation from the frontline conflict is just another symptom of my privilege. Currently, I have started reading a book you perhaps have heard of or seen mentioned online, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. One of the initial myths he confronts that I've been thinking a lot about is the notion that the opposite of racist is not racist. He suggests the opposite of racist isn't not racist. It is anti-racist. What's the difference? One endorses either the idea of a racial hierarchy as a racist or racial equality as an anti-racist. 
One either believes problems are rooted in groups of people as a racist, or locates the roots of problems in power and policies as an anti-racist. One either allows racial inequalities to persevere as a racist, or confronts racial inequities as an anti-racist. There is no in-between safe space of not racist. But Kendi also suggests that we don't just make a choice once and for all to be anti-racist. Rather, racist and anti-racist are not fixed identities. What we say about race, what we do about race in each moment determines what, not who, we are. And he argues, the term racist is not a pejorative. It is not the worst word in the English language. It is not the equivalent of a slur. It is descriptive. And the only way to undo racism is to consistently identify and describe it and then dismantle it. The attempt to turn this usefully descriptive term into an almost unusable slur ends up doing the opposite. It freezes us into inaction. I think there are so many well-meaning people of faith, maybe many of us included, who have often felt frozen into inaction. Out of fear or uncertainty, we tiptoe around just trying to leave no trace rather than being willing to make a mistake, look foolish, enter into a conversation we aren't sure we're equipped for. In order to learn and grow and begin to try to help clean up some of the mess people and systems and policies have created over the last two centuries in our country. With humility, I invite you to engage in some deeper listening and learning with me. I have linked an anti-racist resource guide on our OSL website and in the description of this video and podcast worship service. This link was shared with me and I found it to be full of helpful resources and book recommendations, articles, videos, podcasts, where to find rallies, funds to donate to, petitions to sign, black businesses to support, and some great resources for kids too. I hope that we can together enter more fully into our baptismal calling to work for justice and peace. In our gospel this morning, Jesus in fact commissions us to do so. Just as he commissioned the first 12 disciples, he commissions us to do our best to leave our mark in positive ways on the world around us. While we strive to be open for our discipleship, to leave a mark on us. We are changed through the ways we serve and follow. We are changed by the work we do for justice and peace. It strikes me when I encounter our gospel for today, when Jesus sees the crowd, he has compassion on them, it says in the text, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on them. Compassion sounds like a nice word, for me, the word compassion brings to mind memories as a kid of nursing little baby kittens or squirrels that I sometimes found on the farm back to life. Or it makes me think of my mom taking care of me when I was homesick from school. Compassion, it feels warm and kind. But what's interesting, I guess at least to me, is that the word translated as compassion in the Greek is really not gentle at all. The root of the word compassion his bowels. When Jesus saw the crowds, his stomach turned, his bowels moved. It was a gut-wrenching reaction. He was moved deeply, which was often the case for Jesus, whether meeting a blind man or a leper, a mother grieving her child, the demon possessed. Jesus was often moved deeply in his gut, in his bowels. He felt their pain. But his compassion was also more than just a feeling. His compassion always moved him to act, to do something about the situation of the lost, the bewildered, the harassed, the helpless. He didn't just avert his eyes or take an antacid. He did something. And that is exactly what he commissions his disciples to do too, to leave a trace of healing and hope in the lives of those around us. The Apostle Paul talks about compassion as the clothing we put on 
you know the passage I'm talking about, read at maybe 60% of Christian weddings. Clothe yourself with compassion, Paul writes. Clothes don't just leap on our bodies. Most of us consider what we wear at least a little, maybe less so now if you're working from home, but still, getting dressed is an intentional process. Similarly, having compassion for others doesn't just automatically leap into our lives either. It takes consideration and effort and intentionality to live in a way that allows our stomachs to turn. Because first we have to open our eyes to see need, to see injustice. We have to open our ears to hear voices other than our own. It is always easier to ignore issues of poverty, injustice, violence. It feels safer to protect and isolate ourselves from seeing and hearing and feeling such things. Instead of clothes of compassion, we put on the armor of prejudice, self-justification, self-righteousness. But such armor prevents us from seeing our world, from seeing ourselves, from seeing our neighbor the way God sees, the way Jesus teaches us to see, to see people first and foremost as created in God's image, to see people not as objects or problems or liabilities, but to see people, especially those who struggle, who face injustice, as sheep who need a shepherd, a good shepherd, cares and who seeks to more deeply understand. There's a statue of Jesus outside of a church in San Diego, California. The statue was vandalized back in the 1980s. The hands of the statue were broken off. But instead of repairing the hands, the church decided to put up a plaque at the base of the statue that says, I have no hands but yours a reference to a poem by St. Teresa of Avila that begins, Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Another similar statue stands in a church in Soweto, South Africa. This damage was caused by a police attack on a banned church meeting during apartheid. The missing hands were not repaired for the same reason. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion is to look out to the earth. Yours are the feet by which he is to go about doing good and yours are the hands by which he is to bless us now. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He has compassion on us and calls us to do the same, to be clothed with compassion, that we might see the world more as God sees, that we might bravely listen and learn and grow as we leave our mark in positive and life-giving ways. And as our discipleship and the lives of those we are called to love and serve leave a mark on us too. Thanks for listening. And thank you for your ministry and your discipleship. Thank you for leaving your mark on our world. Amen. We continue our worship as we sing our hymn of the day. Lord, you give the great commission, hymn number 579. We sing verses 1, 2, and 5.
together we confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Called into unity with one another and the whole creation, let us pray for our shared world. Holy One, you bring us together and call us your own. Bless theologians, teachers, and preachers who help us grow in faith. Guide your church that we might be a holy people. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Holy One, the whole earth is yours. Where there is fire, bring cool air and new growth. Where there is flooding, bring abatement. Where there is drought, bring rain. Inspire us to care for what you have provided. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Holy One, we have created divisions you will not own. In places of conflict, especially where injustice, prejudice, and inequality have treated our sisters and brothers of color as less than their white neighbors. Raise up leaders who will work against systemic racism and work toward true justice for all. Bring your peace and reconciliation. Encourage organizations and individuals who care for all forced to leave their homes. Hear us, O oh God. Your mercy is great. Holy One, you care for those who are harassed and helpless. Protect and defend those who are abused. Heal those who are sick. Feed all who hunger. Empower all whose voices go unheard and help us respond to the pressing needs of our neighbors. As we pray especially for Josh Madsen, Lucille Whittier, Neil Fruit, Chris Vandenberg, Carolyn Barnhart, Steve Knutson, Marilyn Lee, for Peggy Terry and her family in the death of Steve, her husband, and in the death of Patricia, her sister, and the Harshman family in the death of Noel, Connie Weber's brother-in-law. Hear us, O oh God. Your mercy is great. Holy One, you provide a plentiful harvest of gifts and resources. Prepare us to labor and gather the fruits of this congregation that we might discover new ways of living. Minister to us in our work that we do not lose heart. Hear us, O oh God. Your mercy is great. Holy One, you bring all people to yourself. We give thanks for the holy people who have gone before us. Sustain us in your mission until the day you bear us up to join the saints in light. Hear us, O oh God. Your mercy is great. Receive these prayers, O oh God, and those too deep for words. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. We send our peace to you, and we invite you to share a the sign of peace with one another as we, too, greet each other. At this time, I invite you to consider the resources that God has given you, your time, your, ta your talent, and your financial resources, and the ways in which God is calling you to use those for the benefit of your neighbor. We would welcome your offering here to OSL for our shared ministry. 
You may send that offering to the church office or you can use our online giving option on our website at oslme.com. Thank you for that support of our shared ministry. We sing now together our offertory. Let the vineyards be fruitful. Let us pray. God of goodness and life, all creation is yours, and your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. Water and word, wine and bread, these are signs of your abundant grace. Nourish us now through these gifts, that we might proclaim your steadfast love in our community and in our world. Through Jesus Christ, our strength and our song. Amen. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup gave thanks and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people, for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus has taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. I invite you now to share communion if you are gathered with others for worship this day or receive this gift, this meal yourself. The body of Christ is given for you. The blood of Christ is shed for you. As you celebrate communion, we share now with you special music. I join Pastor Sarah and Michaela along with Lydia Miller on violin as we offer you now, My Life Flows On in Endless Song.
The body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and keep you in his grace. Amen. Let us pray. God of welcome and grace, in this meal we have feasted on your goodness and have been united by your presence among us. Empower us to go forth sustained by these gifts so that we may share your passionate fierce and neighborly love with all, through Jesus Christ, the giver of abundant life. Amen. As you go into the rest of this day, go with this word of blessing. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God the Creator, Jesus the Christ, and the Holy Spirit the Comforter bless you and keep you in eternal love. Amen. I have some announcements that I would like to share with you this morning. The first is an, invita is an invitation to join me for a midweek worship opportunity beginning on Wednesday, June 24th and on subsequent Wednesdays, I will be hosting a matins or a morning prayer worship service. The service itself is just about 10 minutes long and it will give us an opportunity to center ourselves in prayer and in God's word. We'll be gathering by Zoom for now. We'll open the space at 8.45 for a time of fellowship, and then matins will begin at 9 a.m. We should be done by about 9.15 or 9.20. If you are interested in learning more, have questions, or want to sign up to be a part of that Zoom matins worship service, please feel free to email me. This church, the ELCA, and this congregation in particular are committed to the work of justice and peace. Sometimes this work calls us to use our voices to advocate for others. Sometimes that work calls us to stand in the streets in solidarity with those who are experiencing injustice. And sometimes that work calls us to learn a little more and to do some self-reflection. I have a couple of opportunities for you to engage in that latter work. The first opportunity is to watch the movie Just Mercy. Warner Brothers, the studio that produced the film, has made it free to stream during the month of June. The movie is PG-13, and you are invited to watch it on your own, and then join me for a Zoom discussion about the movie on Sunday, January 20, uh, not January, June, Sunday, June 28th at 1 p.m. If you want more information, you can contact me. The second opportunity is to join uh, me in reading the book, Waking Up White by Debbie Irving. Sometime later in, in July, I'll host a book discussion group. Again, if you want more information about that opportunity, you can send me an email at sarah at oslme.com. Finally, I remind you that if you have a prayer concern or if you wish to visit with one of our parish nurses or a pastor, please reach out to us. We are here for you during this time. You can find all of our contact information on our website at oslme.com. Our worship continues now as we sing our sending hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty, number 858.
Go now in peace. Christ is with you. Thanks be to God.